you turn tonight in your copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew. If you're not aware, on Sunday nights we're preaching through the book of Galatians, but at communion sometimes we look at different passages, and that is the case tonight. Uh, we will look at Matthew chapter 7. Two verses tonight. I don't really have a title for the sermon, but would ask the question that's one of those rhetorical questions we know the answer to but it's like how many people know the golden rule you know do unto others you know say have them do unto you it's like even the lost world has some reference to that verse but these next two verses are right there beside it (laughs) but uh, many people do not ponder them very long and so in Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14 It's a command. The verse begins with a command. Enter through the narrow gate. Because wide, I don't know whether to say gate or door. Just make up your mind which one you like. But enter through the narrow door. Because wide is the door. And spacious, broad I think the ESV says easy, broad, spacious is the way, leading into destruction. And there are many entering through it, and the it there is the wide door. Many are entering right now, currently, it's an ongoing process. Verse 14, I take as a declaration, how narrow the door, how narrow the door, and hard the way, or difficult the way, leading into life. And few are, not entering, few are finding it. You'll notice he changes the word from entering to finding. And in verse 14, the it is this narrow door. All right, so that's our text tonight that we will be looking at. And uh, let me give you, I'm not going to give you the names of these quotes because it will just make your mind drift because you wouldn't like some of the people who said these things because you don't like their theology. But uh, the point is not them, the point is the quotes. And so Tonight's message has somewhat to do with, obviously, with the subject of hell, which Jesus spoke far more about than he did anything else. Uh, But anyways, here are just a couple of quotes just to uh, begin grasping our attention for the subject matter at hand. Quote, the most prominent place in hell is reserved for those who are neutral on the great issues of life. Neutral, not for it or against it. It's a place reserved in hell for those people. Another quote, somewhat humorous, but I don't find anything humorous about hell. But there's a truth here. The national, the national anthem of hell is 
I did it my way. I did it my way. Third, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. This safe road, it has a gentle slope without turns, without milestones, without signposts, and without warnings. It's gradually gains speed as you closer that you get to the place. Next one, there's two more. I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful. Rebels to the end. That the doors of hell are locked from the inside. You don't even want God in there. Still. You read that in Revelation. They would not repent. They would not repent. They would not give him glory. And the last quote, and this is for me as a pastor, I say this to myself. If I never spoke of hell... I should think I had kept back something that was profitable and should look on myself as an accomplice of the devil. Hell ought to be spoken of, certainly very, very biblical. All right, so now to our text, verses 13 and 14. And so, introduction-wise, this common thought of the day, build the roads bigger, make the gate wider, help the crowds flow smoother. The mentality of the world is ease of access, equal opportunity for all, faster, quicker, easier. That's the age of the electronics. Make it where everybody can easily do it and have it instantly, instant gratification. Narrowness, exclusion seem to be taboo. Those are categories of unloving to make something narrow or to exclude something. Well, gospel preaching has been affected by the world's philosophy. Many a preacher seeks <laughs> to make things very easy for his listeners. And I want to deal with difficult subjects because it may be offensive and it may cause people to squirm or people may not like me if I say some hard things like, I don't want to talk about sin or hell or judgment because that won't win friends and favor in our day. And so that type of preaching has made its way across the world. And even the church as a whole has adopted slogans to make things more palatable for our carnality. And you've heard some of these. There's a longer list. But the gospel is so easy, a caveman can do it. Really? Or the gospel is so easy, it's like the ABCs. Or here's four easy steps. Anybody can do this. Or just say the name of Jesus, whatever those phrases mean. Just little quirky statements without theological significance. The interesting thing to me is, is that the shepherd of the church doesn't use phrases like this. It doesn't speak this way. What is the door? Well, I'm persuaded that the door in one sense is Christ himself. Why? Because the Bible says, Jesus says, I am the door. So in one sense, it is Christ himself. But in application to Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it is the Beatitudes, is it not? The narrow door is this sermon that Jesus preached. To enter into this kingdom, you must be poor in spirit. 
To enter in the door is simply, to, to enter the wide door is simply to be what one is by birth, prideful. You want to enter the narrow door, you have to be humble. Narrow door, humble people walk through it. Wide door, proud people freely go in through that door. It is humble, broken people who enter the narrow door. Prideful, self-sufficient people who enter the wide door. On the other side of the door, we find a narrow way. It's very narrow, constricting. It is all the things Christ preached in this sermon. What does this road look like? It's it's the narrow road, the road that Christians live. That's what Jesus told us in his sermon. And so uh, we we have a, a way that's narrow in the sense that we submit, we obey. There's a standard. It's a way that's filled with, at the same time, it's filled with freedom and joy and eternal satisfaction. The wide way looks as if a man can live how he wants, obey no one, and no rules to govern him. Be free and do whatever you want to do. However, the wide way is actually filled with constraint, addictions, sadness, and it leads to eternal damnation. All right, so if you see there in your text just these two verses. Number one, this, now you understand you, that Jesus is preaching these verses, so that's the authority of the sermon. Is This is Christ's sermon. It's not my sermon. It's his. And this is the king of glory who has all authority, and he's preaching to you and to me, and he says in a command form, enter. You are commanded to enter. It's a... It's a it's the grammar sense here of this word has to do with the whole of an action. It's the command from a superior to an inferior. The one with all authority is commanding the one with no authority. You must enter. So in military terms, it's a sergeant telling someone below them or beneath them, walk this way. It's a command. And it's what Jesus is commanding. He's commanding entrance through a narrow door. And if you take it in thought, it would mean this. The whole of humanity exists under the command of the sovereign to enter this narrow gate, to disobey this command at any time is to rebel against the king. The king says enter, and the lost man says no. The lost girl, the lost boy. No, that's rebellion against the highest king in existence. Narrow, the narrow gate. Stenos is the word for narrow. In Luke, he says it this way. Strive, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Why should you strive? Why should you put effort for the narrow door? For I tell you, many will seek to enter and they won't be able. You better strive. You better get this right. Make sure you've gone through this door. Why seek the narrow gate? Why do you need to seek it? Because the gate is wide that leads to destruction. Wide 
Platus is the Greek word, wide. Great extent from side to side, broad. You can drive 16 semis through this gate at one time. There's no difficulty. You just walk right through. It's so wide. There's no constriction. Have you ever, in your house, have you ever tried to move in new furniture and your door is small? Or be like Tommy and Mary Lou and get a new refrigerator and you got a special order because your door's too narrow and the refrigerators today are so big they won't fit? It's really complicated. Not with this door, it's wide. Lots of people can go through at the same time. And they can just flow through it with no restriction. And so you can get caught in this flow. That's why the king of the universe is saying, strive, enter in the narrow door. You must be consciously aware of these two doors and you must make effort to go in the right one. Because if you only go in the wrong one, the end of it is damnation. You need to be aware of that. We need to enter the narrow door because through the wide door, it's spacious on the other side. It's a very, very wide path. The Greek word is adas, which uh, means way, uh, the way one lives, course of behavior, way of life. Those people enter through the wide door. They find on the other side of the wide door a very broad and spacious path. Everybody living in a certain way on this other side. It's a, it's a path that is, has ample room. It's broad. It's spacious. It's roomy. ESV, trying to catch the sense of the verse, says, look, it's just easy to live this way everybody's living this way. Everybody talks this way. Everybody dresses this way. Everybody thinks this way. Everybody goes in this type of direction for their life. There's no restrictions. If you join in with them, everybody will affirm you. And they'll say, you're doing a good job. They'll hang out with you. They'll converse with you. They'll be friends with you as long as we're all doing the same thing. It's very broad. So you get out in the world, and you go in the stream that they're going in, and everything is smooth in that sense. It's broad. We could loosely translate it this way. (laughs) Because the gate is wide, and the way people live is very loose. It's wide, and people live loose. No standards, no restrictions. What, maybe we could put it this way. Everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. That's what they did. What is the result of such a path? Well, the word is destruction. It's a rare word in secular Greek, but it means well, destruction, ruin, perish, or loss. It's like, you imagine the lost person lives on the wide, spacious, roomy path, and they live for everything to get what they want, when they want, how they want, for themselves, and in the end, they achieve nothing. They get nothing. It's all destroyed. And so everything they desired is lost. And you thought about it this way. Narrow on the front and spacious on the end is far better than wide at the front and confining at the end. Maybe like this. Hell on earth 
and then heaven is better than the sense of heaven on earth and then hell. Be far better to suffer for a short momentary time and have eternal reward than to satisfy your flesh for a few years and then stay under the torments of hell for all of eternity. There's a warning here, and the warning is many are, many are entering right now, today, day by day. People are choosing to abandon the gospel, to abandon the church, to say, reject all of these things and to live how they want. Every day they're making that decision. They're entering, consciously entering closer to this end destination of destruction. At the beginning of the verse, we're commanded to enter the narrow gate. But here at the end of the verse, we are told many are entering the wide. The masses are entering through this door, but there is another door. It's almost like it's so clear. If you want to know the right way to go, just find out what everybody's doing and do the opposite. Now, consider the difficulty. This has to do with verse 14. I forgot, the ESV uh, said, uh, for the gate, but I translated this, how. It's a Greek word that can be an exclamatory expression to extent or to degree. So I translate, how narrow is the gate? It's alarming. It's hard to grasp your attention. You know how narrow this gate is? Do you know how hard it is to find it? Do you know how limited the number are that go through there? Man, how narrow is this gate? It's almost like, Lord, who can be saved? It's kind of the thought here. You remember in verse 13, we had the word easy. Here now, the word easy is replaced by the word hard. Wide, easy. Okay? Narrow, hard. This is a change in wording here. There's a, there's a difficulty once you go through this narrow door of faith in Christ, that you enter this door by faith, there's a, there's a difficulty on the other side of the door. The word here for hard means something that's constricted or narrow, to compress something. It's almost like, in one sense, it's almost like the world is a little bit right. I don't want to follow your Christianity because it's narrow. It takes these things that I want to do and it says I can't do them well that's true I mean this narrow way has to do with righteousness and holiness purity God honoring and bringing glory to the king yes in a very real sense you can't live in sin and so we shouldn't apologize for that I mean it's the truth of Christianity if you're going to follow Christ there's things that's got to go You remember the word here, way. The way is easy or the way is hard. And I said it means the course or the way of life. You remember in the book of Acts, they asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so if that he found any belonging to the way. I want to arrest those who walk on this narrow road. That's what Paul was doing back there in Acts 9. This narrow gate leads to a way of life. That is hard, constricted, narrow, compressed. You have to ask the question, why is this way hard? Well, obedience 
is more difficult than disobedience. It doesn't take any effort to disobey. But to obey requires submission. It requires things like death to self. It requires things like saying no to what I want to do and yes to what he has commanded me to do. And that becomes a battle with the flesh. And so it's more difficult than just doing whatever I want to do. The battle of the flesh and spirit is real. Uh, People on the broad way generally throw rocks at the people on the narrow way. I don't know if this helps or not, but you, this is, there's many different ways to know this, but how do you know the difference between a cyclist and a non-cyclist? You can have the conversation with anybody. You talk about riding bicycles, and the non-cyclist says what? I like to go downhill. That's what they say. All non-cyclists like to go downhill. Why? It doesn't require any effort. You just coast, and you go fast, and you feel the wind. I love downhill. You talk to any cyclist, they hate going downhill. There's no challenge. We only want to climb. Give me a hill. Give me a mountain. That's what cyclists want to do. So in a sense, Christianity said, look, I don't want to go downhill. I only want to go up. I only want to follow this difficult and challenging thing because there's reward in following my Savior. Some contrasts you should consider tonight. Wide way of life leads to destruction. The hard way of life leads to life. The wide way of life is lived by the masses. The hard way of life is lived by the few. Many are entering the wide way. Few are finding the hard way. We start Jesus is the one saying it, but people start wondering about numbers. If that's true, many, wide, few, narrow, the question comes up on the scene, well, how many are going to be saved? What's the number? Well, I think Luke 13, we ought to just reside with that. In Luke 13, verse 22, he talks about the narrow door. We won't read the whole account here, but Just to get to this one statement. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? There's your question. Hard, many, many going through the wide, few going through the narrow. Uh, We want to know, what's the number going to be saved? They asked that to Jesus. Who are are those who saved going to be few? And this is what he says. He never answers. You say, well, what did he say? He said, strive to enter the narrow door. How many is going to be saved? You strive to enter the narrow door. What's important is your soul. What's important is where you spend eternity. It's not up to you to figure out what the number of people are going to be in heaven. What's important is, is that your name is written in the book of life. So you need to make sure, have, did I strive? Did I seek? Am, did I go through a narrow door? Am I on a narrow way? Is my life evidence of one who's been converted by the power of God? 
It, do I have a new heart? Do I have a right spirit? Do I love God? Do I know God? Are these things true of me? Am, am I this one? Don't com- do not look to your side. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Don't look to your spouse. Don't look, look to your children. You, individually, Randall, you strive for the narrow door. Walk the narrow way in order that you'll enter into the gates of glory. I need to make sure I'm right. Rather, before I'm concerned with these numbers. And I think it's so applicable because Jesus didn't give the number. He just said, strive to enter the narrow door. Changes the word from entering to finding. Both words are present, participles, constantly going. People are entering the wide door every day. But at the same time, People are finding the narrow door every day, finding the narrow door. You know why? Because the gospel's being preached, tracts are being passed out, missions are being done, pastors are being trained, churches are being planted, Bible is being translated. It's a global impact going on around the whole world, and as a result of what God is doing through His church, people are finding a narrow door. Lastly, contextually speaking, it's a hard way of life, this narrow path. It has to do with the context of the whole sermon. The Beatitudes, salt and light, lawful living. In, in this sermon, people on the narrow path are dealing with heart issues of anger. They're dealing with lust, oaths, retaliation. They're dealing with how to love their enemies. How do I give to those who are in need? Praying, fasting. How do I lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal? They're dealing with how do I live with singleness of purpose? How do I wrestle with anxiety? And then you have logs, hogs, and dogs. Then you have asking, seeking, and knocking. Then you have this golden rule and all these things. All of these things are on this narrow path. And Christians are working through those things. Why? Because they want to live in a way that brings glory to the one who is the door that they've entered through. An explanation of hard and an explanation of easy. Just for clarification, hard does not mean drudgery. Confinement, and it does not mean legalism. Follow the saints of the Bible, and you can understand and see what hard means. But you look at them, you see martyrdom. You see rejection. You see the world lashing out. You see 39 lashes. You see shipwrecks. You see death. You see all these things happening. You're like, man, what kind of life is this where they're stripped of everything? But as you read those accounts, what do you find when you read closely? Delight and joy, and pleasure forevermore. He's an old Puritan, and the king, uh, in, in just a bad situation, the king says, I give you three choices. You can go and do mass, you can be killed, or you can be banished and exiled for all of eternity. And that's your three choices. The Puritan responds, and this is what he says, as for number one, I will never do it. I'm not going to mass. Now, whether I'm killed or banished, pick your choice, O king, but I will not deny my Savior. What a joy. 
but an attitude of a delight in Christ. Superficiality is the resounding word for all those living the broad life, but satisfaction is the word for those living on the narrow path. Well, let me conclude at this point as we move into communion time. To find the right door and live in accordance with the way the Scriptures show us to live, I give you these five things from D.A. Carson. They're just short statements, but I like these five deductions that we can learn from these two verses. So just short five statements that D.A. Carson made. First, God's way is not spacious, but confining. Okay? Number two, God's way cannot be discovered by appeal to majority opinion. Number three, the way that follows the narrow way of to life cannot be pursued as long as we are motivated by, by a desire to please the mass of men. Number four, the two paths are not ends in themselves, but have eternal significance beyond themselves. It is the ultimate destination that is significant. Is the path you're on going to lead you to damnation or to salvation? You need to look at the end of the road. It makes no sense to drive down a road when you don't know what the end result is. If the end result is to go off a cliff, it's a bad road. Get off of it. Make a U-turn. Get another road. But if the road leads to the celestial city, come hell or high water, stay on the road. But the, the, the end result is vastly important. So look, common sense says, ask your own heart here in this room tonight, what road am I on? It's not, well, I do this and I do that. No, no, no. Have you entered the narrow door? Are you in Christ? Have you believed Christ? Are you walking the narrow road? You say, what does the road look like? It looks like a road where you're devoted to the church and you serve the Lord by serving the church and you're in the Word and you love the brothers and you commune together and you fellowship together and you sing together and you pray together and you hurt together and you rejoice together and you live together for the glory of God. That's the narrow road. And there's a few in Briar that are on it. Are we on it? important to ask this for your own heart. Paul says, examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. Well, I can only plead with you to do so, and I know that there are many, you know, I say these things, and I know you know the stories and all, and, but you see, here's a problem, even in our own church, for everybody in the room. You understand, like people like my father sat under this type of preaching for 68 years. And for many of those years, chairman of the deacons, unconverted. He went through the wide door on the wide path, but he's just in association with the church on his way to damnation. 
That's that's why he lived in the church. Respected person of the church. They made decisions. He was on committees and heads and leadership and all those type of things. That was my dad. But in his heart, he he had never been born again. But then one day, thanks be to the grace of God, the gospel finally came through. And my dad is brought from death to life. He's like, I need to be baptized. Oh, glorious day. You drive all the way to East Texas and get to baptize your daddy. He's 68 years old. And he's going to rejoice at what God's done. It's good stuff. But don't miss the point. All those years, everybody in the church thought he was a Christian. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Have you entered the narrow door? You and God know. Only he knows your heart. Are you right with him? It's a great transitional sentence if you want to say it that way, but that's why this table is precious. You see, this is, we use the term in our house, family time. We don't serve communion at home, God forbid, only at church, but family time. We gather around the table, right? This is, we gather here. Why? We are, by community, saying what? We have entered through a narrow door. We're on a narrow path, and we get beat up all the time. We come here tonight to say we have a Savior whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed to cleanse all of our sin. We have been adopted into the family of God. And we partake in unity. And we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I say, without apology, this table is reserved for those who have repented of their sin, believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, been baptized in the waters of immersion, profess Christ publicly for their local church and are living in good standing as a church member. Welcome. Welcome to the table. Let us commune together and let us all be in agreement on the things we disagree. Let us be in agreement tonight. We agree that Christ is the one who has paid our redemption. We at least agree on that. That's the main thing. We come together in agreement, honoring Christ. If you've repented, believed, been baptized by immersion, you're walking in good standing with your church, as these things are passed, you partake. If not, you have no business partaking of these elements.